And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. Well, that came around quickly. It's Friday afternoon again, and that means it's time to welcome into the studio from Envision Financial, Luke Smith. Thanks for joining us. Feels like I was just here like yesterday. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it comes around super quickly. Now, before we start today, of course, today's topic, as we mentioned uh, previously, is going to be what are the top five questions from 2022? And yep. I think they're probably the same top five in many different years. Mm. Uh, but just before we get stuck into those top five, yep. we had a listener on last Friday yep. send us a message at the end of the show yep. with a question. Yep. So it's appropriate we make it six questions. Perfect. Why not? Let's All right. do it. Here's the question. My house grew 50% in value over the last two years. Yep. Why do they restrict self-managed super funds so that you can't live in or benefit from or even improve the property. So that's an interesting question because the self-managed super fund can invest in property so long as you don't live in it. That's exactly right. So when you acquire a property and you're going to hold that type of asset in your super fund, you must not gain a benefit from the use of that asset. So if we think about normal super, one of the reasons that this this is an issue for people, and I understand people's frustration, it's why you know a, a large portion of the population invest in property regardless of the entity, is we've seen some very nice growth over the last couple of years, but you can't hold a property in your super fund and gain beneficial use of it, and that could be achieved by residing in it. That would breach what's called the in-house asset rules, where you cannot have something in a super fund and live in it for that example. It needs to be held on an arm's length basis, whether it's commercial or residential. And there are special exemptions for commercial because people could hold a factory in their super fund and then run their business out of that factory. But when it comes to residential property, it needs to be done on an arm's length basis because if we take a step back and think about normal super, unless you reach your preservation age and meet all of the conditions of release to be able to access your super, if you let people reside in a house that is owned by a self-managed super fund, they are getting benefit from their super prior to their Commonwealth access age. Right. So that's one of the key reasons that you can't use an asset that is in your super fund um, because of the in-house asset rules and the way that you can gain a beneficial interest or use of an asset in that structure. It sounds a little bit complicated, but uh, when you explain it like that, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Yeah. So that's the explanation. That's yeah. why you can't do it. And I also think they, they, they limit the, the, the benefit or the use of an asset in that way because otherwise everybody would have a self-managed super fund. Everybody would own a home in that structure. You'd also then need to consider the tax implications. It could be positive and negative because mm. if it's your primary residence and it's exempt from capital gains tax, if it's owned in a superannuation fund, that's a taxable structure and you could actually be doing yourself a disservice if you were to sell and realise a capital gain. Yeah. So you'd have to then consider the uh, tax legislation and is it or is it not primary residence? Does it still meet the... It's, it, it's a minefield that you could end up getting, mm. getting lost down a rabbit hole very quickly, but you basically can't do it. But I understand people's frustrations because yep. of the change in property yeah. that we've seen over the last couple of years. Absolutely. So more trouble than it's worth then, basically. Potentially. You yep. can also do improvements to super funds, but there are specific rules around um, how it's done. And that also then brings into consideration limited recourse borrowings is there a debt associated with it so you can improve a property but only in certain parameters and in certain situations okay on to your personal top five questions of 2022 these are the questions that your customers your clients have asked you 
time and time again, you'd think they'd know the answers by now. Well, I think it's it's like anything. You sort of have a revolving door of, of changing situation. And, yeah. and what was news to somebody the year prior is going to be a similar issue. And, you know, it, it's really good to see that these questions are consistent because it shows that people have similar concerns. Um, and, and being able to explain these sorts of things can add some real value to listeners because they're consistent and, and if we can cover this off and, and touch on these, which I think is beneficial, um, a lot of people can get the answers that they generally come in looking for, which is great. Question number one on the list, and they're in no particular order, no. but I bet this one's pretty common. How much do yeah. I need to retire? Yeah, and the answer is it depends. And, and like anything, if, if I said to you, build me a house, some of the questions you would ask would be, how many bedrooms, swimming pool, cinema, how many garages, how big's the backyard? How big's the block? What are we working with? What's your budget? And then when it comes to retirement, they're the sorts of questions that people need to think about in their own situation and say, what do I need to live on? Do I have any debts I need to eliminate before I retire? Am I servicing any liabilities that I need to take into account for my cash flow? So the, the, there isn't a straight answer to this because we sort of laugh in the office because people come in, they sit down and they say, Luke, we're just average people. Mm. We are not extravagant. Now, the next line out of their mouth could be, we just need $60,000 a year to live on. We just need $300,000 a year to live on. So in everybody's eyes, they're not extravagant and they're not, they're not over the top in any way. But that just depends which circles you play in and which lane you're in as to what you need to fund. But as a general rule of thumb, I, I'd say to people, if you could generate a four to five percent income stream from your assets and that covers 80 to 90% of your living costs, that's a great way of being able to say, I can maintain the, the, the purchasing power of my money, but also then fund a lot of what I need to live on with dividends from the assets that you hold, be it rent from properties in super funds, be it dividends from shares, ETFs, managed funds, whatever you have to be able to pull out the income you need to live. Yeah. So in that example, if you had a million dollars in your super fund and you could generate a 5% yield, there's $50,000 a year. Now, if you needed 60,000, let's say, you've got 1% of your super at risk from a capital perspective. So I've always been very pro-income in retirement because you can eat income and income funds lifestyle. So having a super fund that generates a really good income stream can help you achieve that 4 to 5% yield, which for a lot of people will cover a lot of what they need because the lower your income that's generated, the more capital you require, which means you'll need to pull down on the money that's invested over time and everybody likes to see the value go up. So understand your costs understand what you need in retirement a lot of what you may enjoy doing is not expensive as well um, and, I, and I would say to people swing for the fence from sort of 60 let's say 60s retirement age swing for the fence from 60 to say 75 76 because then I find your annual living costs start to fall because your body says, I'm not going on a plane for 24 hours. <laughs> You're back and your knees put pay to that. Yeah. You can't get travel insurance. And over that 15, 16 year period where you've had a really good crack, you've been, you've seen, you've done, and then you start to reduce your fixed costs or your fixed living expenses in retirement. So you don't need the same amount of money right through to 100 if you're lucky to live that long. Um, I'd always say to people have a crack from sort of 60 to mid to late 70s. 
uh, and then I find people's needs start to diminish from a cash flow perspective. Yeah, so I guess a good place to start is try to work out exactly what sort of income you need to generate and then go from there. Yeah. Now, question number two, when can I get my money from super? Because uh, some people get a bit confused about this, don't they? Yeah, that's right. So to access your superannuation, you must reach your Commonwealth Preservation Age. And you must put your hand up and you say, I have retired and I do not intend to work again if you're under 60. If you're over 60, you just need to cease a form of gainful employment. Now, in that scenario, people are quite surprised to find out that you could have two jobs, quit one of them, and that allows you to access your super provided you're over the age of 60 when you do it. So you need to meet a Commonwealth Preservation Age, and that's determined by your date of birth. So anybody born after 1764 and onwards, your Commonwealth Preservation Age is 60, and it tiers on an 18-month basis from 55 to 60 prior to that. So check your date of birth because it may already have um, gone through the, the, the access age, and we find a lot of people get the age pension age and the retirement age confused. Have a lot of people come in and say, well, you know, I'm going to take my super at 67. And I sort of say to them, well, do you want to stay in your job and keep working? No, that's when I can get my super. No, that's the age pension age. And we'll touch on that one in a second. So there seems to be a bit of confusion there between the super age and the age pension age. Um, keep in mind they are very different and you may not need to work an extra seven years, which surprises a lot of mm. people when they come in and ask. Well, let's let's address that one because that yeah. is on our list as well. Yeah. Uh, is the super date for retirement the same as the age for the aged pension? Mm. And as you've just explained, it's very different. But why do you think people get confused about that? I think there's some confusion. Or I think the word pension confuses people. I think they, they hear the word pension and because there's a lot of talk and a lot of chatter around the age pension um, amongst people playing golf at work um, and as you start to get older it becomes very topical, it seems to get blended together and there seems to be just some misinformation or an assumption that they're the same and they're, they're really not. So as we said, you've got to be 60 and over. If you're born after 1 July 1964, you've got to be 60 and over to get your super. But if you're born after the 1st of January 1957, your age pension age is 67. So there's seven years difference there, which is significant, where you could access your superannuation, fund your lifestyle, you could do some part-time work, you could do some full-time work, as we said, you could have two jobs, quit one, access your super. We've also got the transition to retirement rules that you could take advantage of if you wanted to do a hybrid of two days a week and some pension. And then when you get to 67, then Centrelink will assess all of your available assets and all of your available income, and they will make a determination as to whether you are or are not eligible for a form of age pension, be it the full pension, be it a part of a pension, or no pension at all, and they have specific income and asset thresholds that they test you on, and the income and asset test, whichever one gives you the least benefit, that's the one that they use. But people need to keep in mind that seven years from 60 to 67 is a significant period of time. So don't continue working and think, oh, well, I've got to go to 67. Just check because you may already be able to access your super, which means you may be able to pay off your mortgage, pay off investment properties, generate income from other sources before you need to worry about the age pension 
and they'll assess you when you get to that age. So it's it's significantly different and something people should consider. All right, next on our list, how do I fund retirement from super when I retire? Yeah, so this one we get a lot. People come in and say, I'm going to retire now, so I'm going to pull all my money out of super and I'm going to put it in the bank. And we just hang on a sec. Whoa, hang on. Super's a wonderful vehicle for holding your accumulated assets because when you put your hand up and say, I've retired, you start at what's called an account-based pension. And all that means is you take all of the super you've been saving up over your working life, plus any money you may have thrown in prior to retirement from the sale of a house, from a lotto win, from an inheritance, from wherever the money's come from, and then you start an income stream or you start an account-based pension. That means you go to your superannuation provider and you say, hey, Mr. Superfund, I'm over 60, I've quit a form of gainful employment, and now instead of putting money in, I'd like to take money out. You have to then give an amount to the super fund and say, this is what I want to take each year, and there are certain thresholds that you need to adhere to, and that can come out to you in any frequency available to you from your provider. Now, a big misconception is people hear the word pension, they think fortnightly. You can have your money out of superannuation as a pension weekly, fortnightly, quarterly, semi-annually, or once a year. Whatever the options are from your particular provider, you can have those come out in the frequency that suits the way you want to fund your lifestyle. So you need to finish, you then start taking money out of the accumulated super. And a big benefit of doing that is anything that comes out over the age of 60 is completely tax-free. So when people come in and say, I'm going to pull all my money out of super and put it in the bank, you're actually potentially buying yourself a tax problem depending on what you have going on from an income perspective. So use super and all of its tax benefits to your advantage in retirement and draw an amount of money out that will fund what you need over the course of 12 months. And you have to adhere to this on a financial year basis. Luke Smith from Envision Financial is with me in the studio. And today we're answering the top five questions of 2022 so that we're well and truly prepared for 2023. Mm. We've answered the first four, Luke. We have. Question number five is similar to the previous question. This is the question, how do I start a pension and what are the rules? In other words, what are the steps you have to take? Yeah, exactly. So what you'll need to do is you need to contact your superannuation provider and they will provide, and, and you need to ask to say, I'd like to start an income stream. And generally that comes in the form of an account-based pension. And all that means is that the assets and the capital you have in your super remain completely unchanged. You don't have to sell anything. You don't have to transfer anything. All you want to say to the fund is, I'd like to start a pension. They will send you out the paperwork. You can then say when you want it to start and you must adhere to the percentage minimums. Now, these have been reduced for the last couple of years because of COVID and the ongoing volatility that we've seen in the market, but they will return to normal from the 1st of July this year. And that is that between the ages of 55 and 65, you must take 4% of the account balance when it starts. And then from 50, from 65 to 75, you must take 5% and so on. And it, the older you get, the more you need to take out to adhere to the rules. By adhering to those rules, the big benefit of doing that is that anything earned inside the fund is tax-free, not taxed at 15%, and anything that comes out to you over the age of 60 is tax-free as well. So a pension structure is a very, very beneficial structure to use to hold your assets. Once you've lodged that paperwork with the fund, you'll need to give them your bank account, 
You'll need to tell them when you want it to start. And you'll also need to tell them the frequency that you would like to receive that money. And as we said before the ad break, big misconception is people hear the word pension. And I think the confusion comes because the age pension is paid fortnightly. Yes. And especially in Canberra, a lot of the defined benefit income streams are paid fortnightly. So a lot of people hear the word pension and they think, well, what am I going to get per fortnight? You need to check with your fund provider and see the frequencies that are available to you. Could be weekly, could be fortnightly, could be monthly, could be semi-annually, could be quarterly, could be once a year. And that frequency of payment, it's really important that you understand that you can have access to your money. So a, a good little strategy to consider is leading into 30 June, let's say you've got some residual debt on your family home and you'd like to get rid of it. You could start a pension. You could take out the amount that you want to draw to meet your minimum in June. Yep. You could then take the minimum out for the next financial year in July and get two years worth of pension money in the space of two months. Now, that could be beneficial for some people strategically to pay down the debt on investment property, to be able to pay off something that is soaking up part of their cash flow. So use that frequency to your advantage, but have a good understanding of what you need when your bills roughly roll in and, and the frequency that will suit the way that you want to fund your lifestyle. Because you need to consider as well, am I working on a part-time basis? Am I planning on going back to work? What other income streams am I going to have? How lumpy is it? How smooth is it? How do I want to live the way I want to live? And how can I get my money in a way that suits me the best? So reach out to your fund, complete the necessary paperwork, send it in. They will then start it and pay it into the bank account that you've nominated. And then each year they will come back to you and write to you and say, hey, Leon, your balance this year is X, you need to take Y. And they will ensure that you adhere to those rules throughout the year. If you have a self-managed super fund, you can determine the amount that you want. And if the, the fortnightly or monthly amount that you take doesn't reach the minimum, you can make a top-up pension payment in June to ensure that you've met that minimum under the legislation for each year. But most super funds will do that for you directly. And also most accountants will ensure that you've met your minimums under part of their service offering. So control your cash flow the way you want. So there you have it, the five commonly asked questions and the answers to them. Luke Wheat and listeners get more information. Yeah, so 6260 4749. Um, we've got envisionfinancial.com.au on the internet. We've got the strategy stacker, Luke Talks Money on iTunes and Spotify. We've got YouTube, Envision Financial Canberra. Uh, we've got YouTube Shorts, we've got TikTok as the strategy stacker, uh, and we've got the book coming out in, in March, The Ultimate Guide to Financial Planning, which will be in bookshelves and available online uh, 1st of March, I believe. Uh, so it's, it's, it's sneaking up very, very quickly. Approaching rapidly, as is next Friday, it when is. you'll be back in the studio here <laughs> once again to talk finance. Luke Smith, thanks very much. Pleasure, we'll see you then. Luke Smith from Envision Financial, back again next Friday on 2CC.